belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for February 20th, 2022 is called Choose Your Own Distraction. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome again, everybody, to Grace Church. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the guys that gets to lead the teaching team here. We're really glad that you're all here this morning. Back in the early 1800s, there were a group of German Lutheran separatists who turned their focus to the religion, religious teachings of a charismatic, self-proclaimed prophet named George Rapp. Anybody heard of George Rapp before this? Well, his followers sought to create this utopian community in America after they were chased out of Germany. The vision of the so-called harmonists, the people that followed him were the harmonists, um, their society was to be purified from private ownership of things and the distraction of marriage and child-rearing freeing them to focus on the imminent return of Jesus that Rapp assured them was soon. Well, unlike almost every other utopian community based on those kind of tenets, the the harmonists actually thrived for a while. If you look at the the history of utopian communities, it's, it's full of things that started maybe with a good idea and ended very poorly and usually ended pretty quickly. But the harmonists lasted for over a hundred years. But inevitably, inevitably, after Rapp died and many of his predicted dates for Jesus' return came and passed, and without new members being born into the community, the community eventually disbanded. 1905. But not after planting three different communities. There were over 1,200 harmonists at its height. With this, and you can go now. Their their sites are um, historical markers in Pennsylvania and Indiana. From that, even though it ceased to exist in 1905, like I said, if you want to start looking into utopian communities, you'll see that that there have been hundreds of them throughout history, and this this utopian ideal persists in our imagination. While we may look at a certain group and go, well, oh, that's crazy or that's bad, or maybe look at some and go, hey, that, that's kind of cool. I'd like to be that. I'd, I'd like to be that. This imagination that, you know what, if we, just got the, if we just got the right people in the right place, all agreeing on the same thing, then, then we'd be free. If, if we could just get everybody on the same page, if we could just get everybody to kind of drink the same Kool-Aid, Hopefully not Jim Jones Kool-Aid, but but the the same indoctrination, then then hey, everything would be great. Christians, it seems, in some ways, are particularly prone to being given over to this kind of imagination. As you as you look through the utopian communities, again, you're going to find that most of them use a Christian or religious basis for what they're doing. 
and the reason why I bring this up is there's just this little bit of utopian imagination that has colored the traditional interpretation of the text we're going to look at. If we take it in isolation, and we look at it in ways that it's traditionally been interpreted, there is a, you can, you can clearly see, I think, this idea that, oh, here's evidence, or here's a way to pursue this kind of utopian imagination. Well, let's, let's take a look at the text. We're looking at Luke 10, 38, and we've been talking about Jesus around the table, the things that Jesus teaches us, the, the building of community around tables. This is Luke 10, starting in 38. It's going to be a story super familiar to y'all, um, and, and I've got a lot to say about it. So Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. So she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the best part. It will not be taken from her. So let's, let's take a moment and set the scene here. First of all, who are Mary and Martha? We know that these are specific people. And, and again, this is not Mary from last week who anointed Jesus' feet. This is not Mary Magdalene, the, the notorious woman saved out of prostitution. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is another Mary. And this is one of the interesting things, I think, that gives veracity, just a small little thing that gives veracity to the biblical testimony, is that if you were an author who was just creating a story, you would use different names. To keep your character straight, you wouldn't name major character. You wouldn't give major characters in your story all the same name, right? So, so we see this just this little nugget of veracity by by this being Mary, and it was a common name. Um, we know that this was Martha's house. Now, we learn later that Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead. It's interesting that they don't enter Lazarus's house. So Martha is the, is the matriarch of this family. She is recognized as the head of the household. So for her falls the responsibility of showing hospitality to Jesus and his disciples. And that would have been an obligation that she took very seriously. So this is her house. This is Martha's house. We can assume that she's the oldest daughter, the oldest child of this family. Um. We also know that there is some familiarity. Now, it seems it could you could read this as this is their first encounter with Jesus with this, but we know whether this is the first one or maybe that they were traveling with Jesus and just happened to come into the town where she had a house. And so she was like, hey, everybody, we could stay at my house tonight. We, we don't know, but we know that eventually, if not by this point, at least eventually, that Mary and Martha are counted among the disciples of Jesus. They are, they are intimate with his teaching in, in learning from him. So whether it starts here or whether it's already established, Mary and Martha come into the Jesus community with that. So there's a familiarity there. Um, and like I said, Martha being the head of this household, her honor would have been at stake hosting. She would have taken this very seriously and it would have been expected and looked to is she going to fulfill her duties in taking care of this? And, 
And as we look at this, we need, to, we need to think about a couple things. We need to understand that Jesus calls us to pay attention to what is important in the seeming constant disruption and anxiety of our lives. That this takes place, Jesus is teaching here in a household that's busy. This isn't a retreat that Jesus is taking. Like Jesus is teaching in the midst of the busyness of daily life. So, so we're not being called out to some religious retreat here. Like we're seeing this take place in real time in the midst of dishes that need to be done, bills that need to be paid, floors need to be swept, the things that happen there. Because there is a temptation for us to wait until everything is calm, until all the fires are put out, all the taxes are done and filed for the season, right? And then we're going to turn our focus to Jesus. You know, if I, could, if I could just get a spare moment, if I could just get caught up on this, then I'll turn my attention to Jesus. And we're going to see, I think, in this passage that we're called to turn our attention in the midst of that. Well, let's look at it. This is a, this is a fascinating passage, and it's been, it's been um, understood a variety of ways throughout history. And the first way is what I want to call clergy versus laity 101. The, the, the way that this has been understood is that there is religious work over here following Jesus, and then there is secular work over here. And that if you are doing religious work, you are better. That is holy. And that there is secular work over here, tending to the children, making the meals, doing the bed. And that's lesser work. And we see a whole history of this in the church, of this divide between clergy and laity. That you could easily interpret this when Jesus says, she has chosen the better task as being, hey, if you really got it going with Jesus, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a seminary professor. You're going to be a deacon. You're going to be an elder. Whatever it is. Like, like there is this, this work that is done that is better than secular work. That's, that's one way that this has been interpreted. Another way is what I call Mary and Martha, Inc. Well, this hits a little close to home. Any of y'all familiar with the Mary and Martha at Dayspring? Like there is a whole business endeavor called Mary and Martha, and it is all this kind of home goods and place settings and religious decor and blogs and, and, and music and scented candles about being a good Martha. Like, like there, it seems like there's an interpretation here that, hey, Mary's not necessarily doing something better. Martha's important too. Like, we got to have both. And you know what? You may be a Martha. So, so we're going we're gonna to help you make your home pretty with this. And there's just this whole industry around this interpretation of Mary and Martha incorporated with this. It's been monetized with that. The third way is, is what I call the, the down with the patriarchy um, view of this. This is where this is where the radicals love it, right? You, you come in and you're like, Jesus is feminist, look. Yay, Jesus, this is a this is a womanist reading of this thing that 
He's tearing down the patriarchy. He's bringing Mary into the fold. He's telling Martha, throw off the shackles of your domestic obligations and join the revolution. Sit at Jesus' feet, wear pants, smoke a cigar. Come on, babe. Like, you know, it's just like, it's, it's this real radical uh, overthrowing of gender hierarchies with that. Uh, and I got to tell you, it, there, are ele- there are arguments for all of those in this. There are elements that you can see how these could play out, how you can interpret it these ways. Now, these past few weeks, as we've been going through, I would encourage people who are teaching to do a paraphrase of the text. I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to do something different. What I want to do is offer you a what could have happened next. And then I want to give you what I think an interpretation is that we ought to consider as Grace Church of this passage with that. So instead of paraphrasing, I'm going to offer an imagination about what would have happened next because we don't know what happened immediately after this. The chapter ends here in verse 11, starts in a totally different place with Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. We don't know what, how Martha reacted to this. We don't know how the disciples reacted to this. Now, I am going to argue in a little bit that we know exactly how they responded to it, but it's not clear in the text. So, bear with me again. This is not canon. I'm not saying this is equal with Scripture. I'm just saying, imagine with me this. So, I'm going to read the text and then I'm going to offer my addendum. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. So she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And and you have to understand, we take this as a chiding tone sometimes, but saying the word like that is 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 a... Expression of intimacy, of friendship. So he's being gentle here by the double repetition of the name. Um, Martha, Martha, you were worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the best part. It will not be taken from her. Well, Martha listened to Jesus and took a deep breath. She went back into the kitchen, turned down the stove, reached around, untied her apron, and hung it on the hook by the door. She shyly came into where Jesus was teaching and scooched in by her sister. The whole group listened intently to what Jesus was saying. As he finished, the group began to stir, now hungry and tired from traveling. They looked forward to the meal and a place to rest, as they soon realized that supper would still be a ways off and no preparations had been made to where they would sleep. And it was already dark outside. They began to grumble and complain. Finally, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, we are all hungry and tired, and the woman have not yet provided what is necessary for us. Jesus looked at Peter and said to him, Dude, figure it out. Meal still had to be made. Bed still had to be made. Stuff still had to get done. 
Now, if you think I'm pulling that totally out of my imagination when I was reading this, and I, imagined it, I was imagining back just a few weeks ago when the disciples came and said, Lord, look at all these people. What are we going to do? And he, Jesus turned and said, you, you feed them. You give them something to eat. I can clearly imagine Jesus the same way. Y'all figure it out. There was something new that was happening. There was something new that was being birthed. Anytime there is a birth, there is tension. There is unknown. There is, there is anxiety. There is anticipation of something new that is coming. So I want us to consider a fourth option for our interpretation of this. You see, yes, Jesus calls certain people to certain roles and positions, okay? Often we don't get to choose those and must learn to accept them. Structure, organization, divisions of labor are all necessary for any family, culture, or society to exist. This is not a call for the dissolution of certain roles. And certainly not of the roles that are responsible for showing hospitality. And yes, we need to learn to give honor to where honor is due and deference to those who have certain responsibilities. Okay? So, so we know structure and organization is still needed. This is not calling for just, hey, let's throw out all the structures. Let's, let's not have any assigned roles. Let's just everybody do whatever you want. That's not, that's not what's happening here. And yes, this is a revolutionary passage for sure. Jesus inviting a woman to sit at his feet as a disciple is a, is a radical change in the culture there with that. It is a breaking down of gender-defined roles and welcoming specifically here the inclusion of women into the innermost circle of Jesus' followers and disciples. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't just fiddle with the existing order. It doesn't just replace one way of oppressing certain group of people with another way of oppressing or domineering another group of people. See, what is happening is this is bringing into a whole, this is bringing into being a whole new way of relating oriented around Jesus. And this is where this separates this story and this idea and this way of liberation apart from the political theories. Is that this is all oriented around Jesus. This is looking to Jesus to define those things. Define who we are. Define the structures that we create. Define the ways that we relate to one another. It is guided by this new order that the kingdom of God is ushering in. This is not a call to detachment. This is not a call to run away from the responsibilities there. That there's some kind, somehow, that if you're more holy, you're going to be religious. You're going to have a religious vocation. You're going to be a minister or a missionary or a teacher or whatever. That's not, that's not what it is. It's not a call for for leaving behind all the cares of the world and moving out of the woods and, and you know living in a hut. It's not, it's not that. This is not a shaming of Martha in any way. This is not shaming her for paying attention to what was necessary, what she felt was her genuine obligation. And it's also, it's really not elevating Mary. 
as much as it may seem initially. It's recognizing that she sees something and is responding to it. But it's not the position that is being elevated for here. It's her response with it. It's the way that she sees and responds to it. And now here's where I say, I, this is why I base this whole addendum to that. I think the early church got it. I think they rejected the first three interpretations that we put out, at least initially. Now, things got wonky pretty quick. But I think initially, the early church got it. And I think this is an unrecognized subtext of everything that we come to read in the epistles. That when we get into Acts, and we get into the letters, there is this subtext in there of how do we order ourselves now. We're no longer Jewish, so we're not organizing ourselves according to Torah, necessarily. But we're also no longer Gentile. So we can't order ourselves according to the Greek way or, or the Roman way or the Corinthian way or the Galatian way or the, the Ephesian way. And when we start to read the letters, we start to see that that's exactly what's happening. Paul is trying to give them instructions on how to relate to each other. Now that Jesus has brought and ushered in this new kingdom, this new way of ordering, this new way of relating to people. I mean, listen to what Paul says to the first Christians formed together as a church in Corinthians. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live, now get this, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. So then, from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. Even though we have known Christ from such a human point of view, now we know him in a way in that way no longer. So then if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Look at the new that has come. He is writing this into the specific response to a group of people who is trying to learn how to order themselves around Jesus. To create the necessary structures, the necessary roles, to accomplish the things that need to be done, but no longer according to the world's rules. No longer according to what society says. No longer, no longer according to just the way things are. He's saying, no, as, as a church, this new humanity, this kingdom that is being ushered in, is to be radically different. It's not segregated. There's no hierarchy. You don't love the people who look like you and hate the people who don't. No, there, there's this radical thing. He even goes further, if you think that's radical, he even goes further when he writes to the Galatians when he says, hey, look, there's, in Jesus there's no longer even male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. I mean, Paul goes all in on this. And once we start to see this, we start to see it throughout the whole Bible. 
that Jesus comes in and he is reordering everything around him. This is what we're called to do. We are now free to consider each other, relate to each other, organize together based on who we are in Jesus. Individually and collectively. Y'all, this has to be one of the most liberating messages that the world has ever heard. It is also one of the most daunting. Because it's like Jesus says, okay, no longer, no longer. Male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. We don't regard anybody according to, oh, you went to that school, so I'm going to regard, regard you that way. Oh, your skin is that color. Oh, you have that degree. Oh, you have that business. Oh, you have that much money. Oh, you have those abilities, or you have those disabilities, or you have these things over here. No. Uh-uh. We are called to profoundly reject those things. and relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. To orient every relationship that we have, both with our—I mean, with ourselves and with others, on that and that alone. And from that is where we create our structures. That is where we create our roles. That is where we give, where we submit to one another and we figure out how to do things. We do it based on that, on the gifting and callings of the Holy Spirit, on who God has created us in general, as image bearers, as people who carry the image of God, regardless of all those ways that the world classifies us, but also specifically, because we know that each one of us is unique. Each one of us is uniquely called, uniquely gifted, uniquely qualified. And so we learn to recognize those things, honor those things, nurture those things. That's how we base our order. That's how we base our structure. Is on that. It's amazing. It's amazing when you think this one meal around this one table in this one home could come to encapsulate this idea that can change the entire world. That can change every relationship that we have. And we get a taste of it here. The way of Jesus the way of the kingdom is not a promise of some idyllic society free of tension, some utopia, free of conflict and worry. At, at least not yet. Not yet. We do look forward to something like that. But here, right now, there's something different. It is not a call to be perfect as much as it is a call to do something different and good. Something that is ever moving towards justice, mercy, beauty, and truth. 
something based in radical hospitality, sacrificial obedience, unrelenting hope, deeply shared suffering, joy, repentance, and celebration, tenaciously held together by a common faith. It is a community oriented to, formed in, and held together by Jesus. Master, worship team to come up. And we're going to practice coming around our own table because this is where we start this process or are reminded of this process. We come to this table every week to both be reminded and remembered, literally brought back together as members, put together. Because this is a constant work in progress. It's not a static thing. We don't just get this and then we've figured it out and then we move on. It's constant. All of us are going to leave here. We're going to go back to our roles, doctors, teachers, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, kids. We're going to go back into those roles, right? And we're going to have the constant temptation to consider ourselves and others according to the ways of the world. Pushed on us again. So we come here on Sunday and we remember that that's not the deepest truth. That's not the reality. The reality is, no, we are oriented together around this table by Jesus, for Jesus, and in Jesus. And here we can be fully known for who we are. And we can fully know others for who they are. Free of those masks and distortions that are put on us by the world. So come to the table this morning. Come to the table this morning. Hear Jesus say your name. Maybe twice. Beth, Beth, come to the table. Jeremy, Jeremy, come to the table. In this show of affection that you've been set free for this. We also take our offering during this time. We also take this time to reflect and make sure that we're going to get this. Write it down. If there's something you need to do, write it down. Question you have, again, don't believe me just because I've got the microphone. Take time. Search this out. See, see what sticks, what resonates with you. And thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.